0: And there it is, major breaking news. Bernie Sanders has finally endorsed Joe Biden for the president of the United States. And we all knew he was going to do it. Bernie Sanders endorsed Hillary Clinton in 2016. Yet this will still likely be seen as a major betrayal of the progressive left, which makes me wonder why anyone supported this guy in the first place. Now, I think the reason may be that progressives just saw Bernie as the best chance they had, even though he does try to play the establishment game. At least if he got elected, they'd get some policies put in place. But when Bernie Sanders dropped out of the race, we saw many people tweeting hashtag never Biden. I even saw some journalists saying don't vote for Biden or Trump. And these are mainstream personalities in media. I had to wonder why it is there's a fracture between the left and the moderate Democrats. And I think the reason is actually kind of obvious. I've mentioned it before. A story from Politico came out earlier talking about how Democrats are really worried because of the YouTube deficit. YouTube political commentary tends to be conservative or moderate, or at least anti-Democrat. And they don't really know why, but they're desperately trying to make up this gap. I don't think they'll necessarily be able to do it. And one of the reasons is, when i uh, looking over at Pew Research, we can see that far-left activists are substantially more active on social media in terms of rallying and protesting, thus creating their own kind of echo chamber. Moderate Democrats, conservatives, and even conservative Republicans are more likely to be doing the same thing. Now, I don't know if this is the reason or just another symptom of a bigger problem, but it stands to reason that if the far left is particularly active and constantly talking to themselves, they are spinning themselves up in a tizzy while the rest of us are off somewhere else, probably not paying attention that much. I mean, if you look at the top podcasts in the world, you've got mostly entertainment. Yet the Democrats are trying to chase after an activist base that is continually moving further and further left away from mainstream America. This will result in more moderates thinking they're conservative because the far left dominates the conversation. But well, we'll get into all this. We have a, we have an interview from Ocasio Cortez where she basically says, you know, in some ways Hillary Clinton was better than Biden, and some of his policies are almost insulting. But the New York Times acknowledges that the progressives are not doing well. And even AOC recognizes this. In 2018, only a small handful of progressives actually won, and they won through an exploit called primarying. They do not represent the left in this country. But as long as the Democratic Party chases after them, they will not dominate on YouTube. They will not dominate on podcasts, and they certainly won't win these elections. Moderates in 2018 reclaimed Trump districts, not progressives. Well, let's get started. We'll start with the endorsement of Joe Biden. Before we do, head over to timcast.com donate if you'd like to support my work. There's several ways you can give. The best thing you can do, share this video. As I mentioned, the establishment is cracking down an independent political commentary channels like mine because, well, maybe they want to be a bit more competitive or maybe they're just very harsh. I don't know. Either way, If you want to help me overcome these algorithmic hurdles, how they prop up the mainstream media, then please consider sharing this video. Also, don't forget to subscribe, hit the like button and the notification bell if you want to get more videos like this. CNBC breaking news, rather short story, Bernie Sanders endorses Joe Biden. They say that Sanders has endorsed Vice President Joe Biden for president on Monday during a live stream with the two men telling Biden, we need you in the White House. I'm asking every Democrat, I'm asking every independent. I'm asking a lot of Republicans to come together in this campaign to support your candidacy, which I endorse, Sanders said. Sanders exited the Democratic primary on Wednesday, effectively making Biden the presumptive nominee to take on President Donald Trump in November. Now, we also have this New York Times interview with Ocasio-Cortez kind of showing us this real rift. I mean, AOC is critical of Joe Biden. The reason I find this interesting is that Bernie Sanders literally just endorsed the guy and is calling on everyone to come together. Sorry, it's not going to happen. Let me just say it for the 15 millionth time. Joe Biden cannot be president. I mean, he physically can and people might vote for him, but mentally he cannot. For all of the criticisms they've had about Donald Trump, the guy can actually form a sentence. Sometimes Trump rambles. Sometimes you're confused by what he meant. But the fact is Donald Trump is still a president, does still have a lot of support. Joe Biden can't form complete sentences. I get it. He does relatively often have some ideas he presents, but he flip flops. He has no real position other than he's not Trump. In fact, the Atlantic wrote this article. I love citing this that said Joe Biden stay alive. All we need is your warm corporeal form. That's it. They didn't actually care about anything Joe Biden stood for. They just don't want Trump. I'm sorry, but you can't run no one against someone. It's not going to work. Now, in this interview, the New York Times says Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has never spoken to Joe Biden. Here's what she would say. In an interview, AOC said she intended to support the presumptive Democratic nominee, but the process of coming together should be uncomfortable for everyone involved. No, it really shouldn't. The progressive left is a tiny fraction of this country. The Democrats should not be pandering to people who don't win anything. Here's what the New York Times says. The progressive wing of the Democratic Party fell flat in this year's presidential primary, and Rep AOC knows it. Even before Senator Bernie Sanders dropped out of the race last week, making vice president the party's presumptive nominee, AOC was ruminating on the lessons the left must learn to be more successful moving forward. But in the short term, Democrats are desperate to defeat Donald Trump in November, and Mr. Biden is making some policy overtures to unite the party. This The hope is to win over supporters of Mr. Sanders, as well as top surrogates like AOC, a New York congresswoman who is popular among young progressives, a group Mr. Biden is struggling to win. Now, look, the Democratic Party is completely split. But I'll tell you what, you have four groups. Uh, l- l- let me just jump straight to this Pew research from 2018. Maybe out of date. It's a, it's a year and a half old or so. They say liberal Democrats more likely than other groups to be politically active on social media. I don't know if this is a symptom of a larger problem or the cause of it, but what we can see is it's very, very fascinating, actually. Liberal Democrats use social media for key civically minded activities more than other groups. We have four groups. These four groups are not proportionate, right? So just because you have conservative Republicans, moderate, and uh, uh, moderate Republicans and Democrats and liberal Democrats doesn't mean that's proportionate to the population. But what we can see is, is something interesting. We see that conservative Republicans, moderate and liberal Republicans, and conservative and moderate Democrats are more likely to fall into the same bracket. Meaning, when asked, do they encourage others to take action on issues important to them, the three groups are aligned for the most part in the same area where liberal democrats are substantially more activist in every bracket the liberal democrats meaning the more far left progressives are substantially more active on social media i think this shows us two things moderate individuals people who probably watch my channel to even conservatives who yes many of whom rag on me for, uh, very often more more right leaning less you know moderates They're more likely to watch this kind of content because we all kind of see similar things. We're less likely to be activists online screeching about hashtags and forming protests, and we're more likely to agree. And it it may be because we agree, we're less likely to be fervent and, and vocal on the internet. It could be that the far left Democrats are being inundated with activist content, which pushes them in this direction away from everyone else. That doesn't really matter. What does matter is that far left Democrats And the rest of us are completely separated. Which means, so long as the Democrats chase after this fringe faction that doesn't make make up a very large group at all, they're not going to represent me or anyone else in the middle. I love showing this graph. This is the hidden tribes more in common data. Let me look look at these political parties. For those that are listening, I'll explain it to you. We have seven major brackets: progressives, traditional liberals, passive liberals, the politically disengaged, moderates traditional conservatives and devoted conservatives. Interestingly, the progressive wing is only 8% of the population, according to this data. Traditional liberals, passive liberals, the politically disengaged and moderates are all called the exhausted majority. Now, this is just one bit of data. Maybe it's not entirely correct. We can see devoted conservatives, which they they symbolize with a MAGA, with a, with what looks like a MAGA hat, make up 6% of the population. However, traditional conservatives make up 19%, meaning the right is 25% of this country and the progressives are 8% of this country. Gallup polls, Gallup released a poll saying the United States remained a center right country ideologically, chasing after a fringe faction that aren't even aligned with the regular liberals seems like it will make no sense. Your best bet is to cater more to moderate liberals, but they don't. And because they don't, I think that's why we see them fail when it comes to large media platforms. Now it's true. There are some really big left-wing channels. There are some really big left-wing podcasts. They're not all aligned, though. We have in mainstream politics the intersectional feminists that dominate particularly well. But then you have certain dirtbag socialist type podcasts, which do even better. The left is absolutely fractured. Now, I can't tell you exactly why, but I'm certainly evidence of it. I've never been a conservative. I grew up as you know, a liberal. Yet here I am being pushed into the right wing side of things by people in the media. I mean, for the most part, they don't really know where to put me. But that's good enough. I agree with Bill Maher on, on most of the things he's, he's complained about. And he's always been on the left. So the left is completely fractured. Which brings me to the next story where the Democrats are freaking out. Now, I don't want to lead with another story about Democrats freaking out, especially when we have big breaking news. But this is extremely significant to this channel, to you as a viewer, and to what's going to happen in 2020. Politico says, Democrats scramble to close YouTube deficit amid quarantine campaign. Concerned Democrats compare the rights advantage on YouTube to its dominance of talk radio. Talk radio. It's also true that the right, in my opinion, dominates podcasting within reason. There's an easy way to break this down. I looked up the top podcasting charts on Apple, Chartable, Spotify, and some other platforms. Sure enough, Joe Rogan is number one. I wouldn't, I I would actually call him decently lefty, but doesn't really fit in with a lot of these groups. He's more so a regular, regular guy. He probably speaks to more moderates. You know what that means? Moderate Democrats and moderate Republicans are in the same place when it comes to the internet activism, as we see from Pew, which shows us the biggest faction in terms of entertainment on podcasting and probably on YouTube. I mean, Rogan's one of the biggest, you know, YouTube channels as well. I mean, maybe not one of the biggest, that's not fair, but he does have a really, really big YouTube channel, gets millions of views. Moderates, man. Moderates are the key. Republicans, conservatives will watch moderate content. Content. Moderates will watch moderates, conservatives will watch moderates, and the left won't the left has fractured itself from the rest of us. So what happens if someone creates a fringe far leftist socialist channel? Nobody wants to watch that either. There's a weird separation between where most of us exist and what we can agree on and the far left and their fringe ideas. But mainstream movies, celebrities, and the Democrats are chasing after vocal Twitter voices instead of America. It's why we've seen get woke, go broke. Now that's not absolute. There are certainly things that have gotten woke and done well, But very often we see these weird attempts at wokeness that just fizzle out because you are chasing after a microscopic faction, not the majority of Americans. Politico mentions Joe Biden isn't much of a YouTuber, but his campaign and Democrats are hastily trying to address a longstanding weakness and reach the millions of Americans who are. They say while Democratic campaigns and groups spend heavily on advertising on YouTube, they lag in organic content with dozens of conservative and right-wing figures like Ben Shapiro, Mark Dice, and Paul Joseph Watson, and more official-sounding channels like Prager University, cultivating enormous followings not yet matched by equivalents on the left. They're going to mention that's what led Biden to a live-streamed family town hall last Sunday night with a trio of YouTube family vloggers who have a combined 3.8 million subscribers. The Biden's campaign renewed efforts amid the pandemic have come with growing pains. The former vice president awkwardly started off by telling them you have really great podcasts. And the vloggers didn't post videos about the event on their own channels, restricting Biden to a smaller subscriber base of just 21,000 subscribers. Nobody likes Joe Biden. Nobody who has a choice goes to Joe Biden. Even Bernie Sanders. Check this out. Bernie Sanders has 401,000 subscribers. This dude's running for president of the United States, one of the most popular on the internet. And I have more subscribers than him on multiple channels. You combine all my subscribers. I definitely have more than he does. Now, Bernie Sanders has way more Twitter followers. Sure. What's interesting to me is as popular as, as Bernie Sanders is, he can't muster that support on YouTube probably because YouTube is comprised of people who choose to watch certain things. I I think, you know, it's fair to say people on Twitter will choose to follow certain people, but the people on Twitter seek you out, follow you. On YouTube, it's a search engine, meaning people are going to go on YouTube, search for a topic, and they're going to choose not to watch progressive content. I wonder why that is. Certainly there are successful moderate Democrat voices and progressive voices, but they actually don't go that far left. Sure, sure, you got the Young Turks, right? That's that's fair to point out. But they've been on YouTube for a really, really long time. They do get a ton of views. But you have some people like Kyle Kalinske. Kyle Kalinske is very progressive. He's actually had kind words to say about Sargon of Akkad, who is a liberalist, anti-feminist. You also have, have David Packman, who is also rather progressive liberal, and we certainly disagree. But he's also called out things. He's also called out social justice absurdities in the past. And he's also called out He's called out some, some Democrats and gotten yelled at for it. I'm not saying that these these people are overly progressive. I'm just pointing out that if you if you look at some of these more far left channels, they tend not to do that well. People aren't choosing to go to them. For the most part, they're seeking more moderate voices. And it's not Joe Biden either. Joe Biden only has 23,400 subscribers. To be fair, I also point out, Donald Trump only has 340,000 subscribers. So it's fair to say the old guard just isn't that good. Bernie Sanders does a lot better than Donald Trump does. But when it comes to personalities, it's conservatives. It's conservatives and it's moderates and it's people who push back on the mainstream narrative. I really think that the biggest driving factor about social media, it's not so much whether or not you're conservative I think it has more to do with whether or not you are giving people an honest take on what's going on. I do think there are, there are progressive YouTubers who lie all the time. And I tend to find that there will be conservatives who are either lying or just wrong. But then there's a big group of successful people who are more probably moderate or right leaning who present a fair argument. I was looking at some of these arguments from progressives. I decided not to show them and single anybody out because, you know, it would, I'd, be, I'd be calling out one or two things. I don't want to start any flame wars. But there are certain takes where it seems like they're just being dishonest. Maybe you agree with me and that's why you don't want to watch them. I've certainly recommended some other progressive channels so you can get a, a balanced view of things. When I watch someone like Joe Rogan, for instance, and I see his content, it feels like while he's been wrong on many things, and I've certainly, you know, had, had criticisms, I think Joe's a good dude. I think he's pretty smart, actually, as much as he might be self-deprecating, but he's being honest. And, you know, Joe has recently had some kind words for me. I really appreciate it. But I think that's my intent as well. I'm absolutely wrong on a ton of things, but I try not to misframe things. And I try to make sure that the facts I present to you are fair and honest. My assessment may be incorrect. I may have opinions you disagree with, but I will never act like I will never lie by omission. Or try to falsely frame certain things, like I've seen progressives do. And I think the reason they do it is because they have no choice but to do this in order to pander to certain groups. In fact, David Pakman once put out a video saying there's a bunch of subjects he can't talk about without getting, you know, slammed by many progressives or you know, left wing activists. And that was really honest of the guy. And that's why that's why I think he's he's, he's a pretty good dude. Albeit he may be wrong. What I think we're seeing is the Democrats are going after a base that no one actually cares about. AOC was a fluke. She's won. I think there were 79 progressives and only a small handful actually won. She de- did not win the majority of her district. She does not represent this country. If the Democrats want to win on YouTube, you need to actually have a, a probably a sane voice similar to mine. Well, I, I think so, because I've actually supported Democrats not to toot my own horn. But the point I'm trying to make is I supported some Democrats for their ideas, even though I didn't completely agree with them. The problem is when they go on TV, they say things like, no border controls, moratorium on deportations, we're gonna jump straight to banning private health care. And I'm like, dude, none of us are there. I grew up as a as a lefty my whole life. And I've and I've become more centrist because the Democrats have tried to leave us behind to to latch onto a tiny fraction of the public no one cares about. I mean, I I get it, these activists care about themselves but it is a losing game. And while all of this is going on, we have a media that completely recognizes the Democrats. Not, not only have they been doing this, but that Trump and conservatives are winning the internet, completely winning the internet. Look, people say that I'm, you know, I've seen people say on the, online that I must be a Trump supporter for ragging on the Democrats all the time. No, that's not the case. I'm just being honest. I don't understand why Nancy Pelosi thinks an oversight committee. I don't understand why Adam Schiff thinks an investigation. I don't understand what they're doing. And I've tried looking up what they're doing. It doesn't seem to make sense. And I'll say that it doesn't mean I like Donald Trump. It means I don't like what they're doing. And it's true. YouTubers tend to be pretty anti things. Fine. That's fair. I don't like what they're doing. I have had tremendous praise for Andrew Yang, Democrat, tremendous praise for Tulsi Gabbard, Democrat. I've had some criticisms for them, too. I'm just look, I I feel like I'm sitting here in the middle, not necessarily even in the middle, looking for a viable option. And what do I get? Joe Biden can't talk straight. I will never support that. Bernie Sanders wants to ban private health care. That's rather extreme. I like the idea of universal health care, but that's going a bit far. Even Denmark doesn't do that. All we get are extreme positions, and I don't necessarily understand why, other than what I've shown you from Pew. Liberal, far leftists, whatever you want to call them, are so active online. These Democrats only see that, and they think that's what the American people want. They accuse me of being conservative, but I've been in the same place I've always been. Bernie Sanders was for border security not that long ago. Now he's changed his mind. It's not me who's changed. It's me saying, what are you guys doing? Joe Biden now adopting progressive policies to convince one congresswoman that he's progressive enough. It's not enough. You are sacrificing moderates to win over people who don't who don't like you anyway and they won't support you anyway. They've said as much. So why are you trying to court them? I honestly have no idea. Bernie Sanders, I think he understands it. I don't, I do not trust Bernie at all, considering he thinks Joe Biden should be president. I'm sorry. I don't, I, you you have not convinced me that Trump is that bad, that we should have someone like Joe Biden who can't form a sentence as the president. And again, Joe Rogan even says it. So you want to talk about the domination of certain ideas online. It's mind blowing to me That actually, I'm pretty sure they do this in in the Politico article. They say say this, Prager University is one example of the right's extensive YouTube ecosystem. The relatively obscure channel has 2.45 million subscribers. I'm sorry, how do you reconcile that, Politico? How could PragerU be relatively obscure, but have two and a half million subscribers? That makes them one of the biggest channels in the world. Check this out. They say it generates over 3 billion views with a steady stream of videos like why I left the left with 13 million views and make men masculine again with 9.5 million views. The media is a part of this mess. And as long as the Democrats don't snap themselves out of it and come back to reality, they will just keep losing. I do not understand what they think they're going to win by chasing after people who hate them and say they will never vote for them. But let me just give that shade to the media. That's the bigger point I wanted to make. I think what actually unites these these, uh, channels, right? I'm not particularly conservative, but I'm fairly anti-establishment, anti-mainstream. And as long as the media will will, will prop up Joe Biden like the New York Times just did, you'll see me calling that out. It's not about me liking Trump or wanting him to win. Many of these people on the left, they can't seem to understand that, think everything is wrapped in this mission of tribalism. I'm not I'll tell you this. If the media is going to call out Brett Kavanaugh, but defend Joe Biden, I will call the media for lying. Politico says Prager University is relatively obscure, but they've got two and a half million subscribers. You've lost your mind. That is not obscure. That is popular. A video with 13 million million views, 9.5 million views. I would only hope for that kind of viewership. And so would Joe Biden. He doesn't get it. Neither does Bernie Sanders. You are not in the mainstream, but you think you are. It's the craziest thing to me. When Donald Trump's polling was skyrocketing, and and it's been going up, it's 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 bounced down a little bit. It was going up amid the coronavirus, you know, uh, uh, reaction. The people in media and these activists were just saying, "I don't believe it's true." Listen, you are not in the majority. You have never been in the majority. That's why you were wrong in 2016. It's why you're wrong now, and it's why the Democrats are going to lose. They haven't learned a single lesson. They keep chasing the same nonsense. Daily Caller reports the Trump campaign raised $212 million in the first quarter of 2020 brings election cycle total to $677 million. We know from all of these stories, Democrats are learning the wrong lesson from Donald Trump. He ran as a moderate and it worked July 2019. Here's the Atlantic. Will the left go too far? So for some reason, they cons- There's there's no Maybe it's the fact that they trust the media. Maybe that's really what it's about, because the media doesn't have a cohesive message either. I mean, even Vox is saying you got to get moderate. The one thing they all seem to agree on is that the far left is not a good idea, but they're going after it anyway. While all of this insanity occurs, Trump is, is, is his polls are going up. He's raising he's raising hundreds of millions of dollars. He's now tied with Biden in a new Fox News poll. I don't tell you, man, Bernie Sanders endorsement is worth nothing as far as I'm concerned because the people he who 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 uh, like Bernie Sanders do not make up what most Americans actually want. I think there are many people who like Bernie. I think there are many good people who like Bernie. I think there are many honest people who like Bernie. But Bernie was pandering to people who don't who aren't going to vote and who don't make up the majority. Let me just give you the, the basic example. Bernie Sanders said last year, we cannot have open borders. There's too many poor people. Bernie Sanders said in an interview recently that Bringing in undocumented immigrants will depress wages for low-skill workers. Now he's flip-flopping on those positions to pander to the far left. Most Americans don't agree. Bernie, you lost. While some of your positions were popular, and people do like the idea of Medicare for all, he went too far with it. And then he tried wrapping himself around these weirdo activists who have fringe opinions and don't vote. Biden is making the same mistake. Biden's even accepting the Bernie endorsement. It's a mistake. Don't get me wrong. I think there's a possibility Biden will win, especially if Trump supporters get complacent, then the hubris will be their downfall. But for now, we can see at the same same day that Bernie Sanders has endorsed Joe Biden, Ocasio-Cortez has slammed Joe Biden and said that he's, you know, some of his policies are almost insulting. It should show you that Bernie's endorsement is worthless. The far left does not want Biden. They don't care. And the Democrats need to stop playing these games, but they're going to keep doing it. I'll leave it there. Next segment will be coming up at 6 p.m. YouTube.com slash TimCastNews. Thanks for hanging out. I'll see you all then. Three meat processing plants have now been shut down due to COVID-19. The latest is a pork processing plant, Smithfield, up in Sioux Falls. Time Magazine reports the U.S. is perilously close to meat shortage after major plant closes over coronavirus. Let me tell you what, It's hard to know if things are getting better or worse because there's a few days where everything feels like like it's getting better. There are a few days where everything feels like it's getting worse. I recently went to a Home Depot to pick up some much needed supplies and they wouldn't let us in without masks on. We walked to the front and there was a sign saying public ordinance. You can't be in public without a mask. They stopped us like 30 feet away and they're like, stop, stop. So I went back to uh, my vehicle. And took a shoelace and a shirt and made a mask. You can see it on my Instagram. Follow me, Instagram.com slash Timcast. It was a silly-looking mask, but it was good enough. This made me feel like things were way worse than I would realized. Because I gotta be honest, I haven't gone out a whole lot. You know, we used to go out periodically, go to the store, pick up, you know, groceries every other day or so, but we've ended up getting, you know, a week's supply of groceries at a time, maybe two weeks even, and we haven't gone out. So I went out for the first time in like a week and a half or two weeks. And I was kind of shocking to see almost no vehicles, to see all of the business, businesses are closed. There were many businesses that said they were going to do curbside delivery. No, they're closed now. And when I went to one hardware store, closed. I went to Home Depot, they were open, but only for a short period. Made me feel like things are getting a whole lot worse. Look, I know people get mad. They say you're either fear mongering or you're downplaying. I don't know what to tell you. I'm going to tell you how I feel. We are seeing farmers dump millions. Well, let, let, let me just make sure I get this, this, this story correct, this number correct. 3.7 million gallons of milk is being dumped every day. Farmers are plowing fresh vegetables back into the soil because restaurants, hotels, and schools have closed due to the coronavirus. Yet at the same time, we are seeing food shortages at our local stores because they can't get the food there. The economy is is crushed. And you know, a lot of people have talked about how, oh, don't worry about the economy, you know, things like this. That we see the memes Oh, no, the economy. I'll tell you what, man. The economy is the system in place that manages how food and other resources get delivered into cities. And it is an extensive network. It is very important and very powerful. And right now, because people don't have access to money because they've been cut out of the economy, they're going to food banks. Food banks are running out of food. Where do you think these people will go next when they don't have food? Do you think these millions of people seeking food will simply just sit in their house and say, guess I'll die? No, they'll get food however they can get food. There's another problem, though. Farmers dumping food, meat factories shutting down. We are perilously close to a meat shortage. Then what happens? I honestly don't know. But I will tell you that as much as people want to act like things are getting better, maybe they are. Maybe I'm just focusing on the negative negative. Take that take that, all of that into consideration. I don't know. But this story just came out the other day. America should be ready for 18 months of shutdowns in long, hard road ahead, warns the Fed, uh, Fed's Neil Kashkari. He is the head of, I believe, the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. I'm not going to pretend like this guy's the most important guy in the world. But look, he's not the only one saying 18 months. Trump has said Easter. He said, we're going to get things up by Easter. Everybody yelled. He said, OK, April 30th. Everybody yelled. Maybe, maybe by May, some states have a lockdown indefinitely. Some states have a lockdown until June. I have no idea what we can expect, but I'll tell you what. I'm pretty worried. I guess all I can really say. Let me read you this story, and then I want to tell you the the, the, the gist of this, which you've probably already surmised from the, uh, or, or you understand from the title of this video. I think we're going to see the establishment of an authoritarian command economy. I don't want to call it communism necessarily. But listen, if people are going to food banks because they have no cash, farmers are dumping food, there's going to be a main centralized authoritarian push to mandate the food be delivered from the farms to the food banks to be given out for free. They say, hey, if the food's at the farms, just give the food to the food banks and then people will have food, right? But it's taking volunteers to deliver that food. How long until it's a mandate to deliver that food? How long do the farms run out of food and then have to be by mandate supplied with the basic necessities to grow more food? Eventually, you're looking at a command economy where everything is just under mandate due to emergency. And if we're talking about 18 months in lockdown, seems probable winter 18 months. We're going to go through winter in this, man. I hope you guys are ready because this is not sound good. Look, I turn on the TV, and Trump whispers sweet nothings into my ear. Things are getting better. Things are going to be great. Be hopeful, and I can respect that. The last thing you want is a bunch of desperate, terrified people running around looting stores. We're seeing commercial robberies spiking in New York. We're we're seeing a breakdown. We're getting dangerously close to a breakdown of social order. We really are. You might not. You might not want want to hear it. You might not believe it. But look. Look at this. Hundreds of ATVs and motorcycles were racing through Manhattan streets. People are just having fun with it. No cars, no cops. Around 20% of the NYPD is out sick. Many probably don't want to even get involved because people are dying. There's, there, look, every day news organizations list the people who worked with them who died of COVID. And yeah, as another story. It's sad. A photographer lost his life. Young guy, a youngish guy. Oh, I shouldn't say he He's in his 40s. So middle-aged guy. What happens? Well, the police are out. There's no food. People stop caring. They start doing what they want to do. Lawlessness. Now, I, I will be fair and say these ATV cruises and motorcycles—they they do this at night. They do it in Chicago. They do it all over. But this apparently is during the middle of the day throughout Manhattan, which is kind of un, unheard of. Let's read the story and figure out what's going on with the food shortage. But listen, I'm not gonna—I'm not gonna do. You know, I, I do—I do those promos for. <clears throat> excuse me, for those uh, food for that food company. I'm not gonna do it now. But because I I sincerely mean it when I say, I I hope you have taken some precautions to prepare for the food shortages that may come. May. I mean, we're really close. And, you know, we've got a problem with logistics, and now we've got a problem with delivery. Well, logistics, meaning the the delivery from the farm straight to to, uh, to the shops, but now it's actually supply itself. Time magazine says the world's biggest pork producer is shuttering a major U.S. plant indefinitely after a coronavirus outbreak among employees, with the company warning that closures across the country are taking American meat supplies perilously perilously close to the edge of shortfalls. Smithfield Food will idle its Sioux Falls, South Dakota pork processing plant facility, which accounts for 4% to 5% of US production, the company said in a statement Sunday. The move comes after state officials reported more than 200 cases of COVID-19 for plant employees, adding to a spike in infections that's seen hundreds of American meat workers get sick, plants have been forced to shutter or reduced output the closure of this facility combined with a growing list of other protein plants as they call it protein plants that have shuttered across the country is pushing our country perilously close to the edge in terms of our meat supply smithsfield, smithsfield chief executive officer ken sullivan said in a statement it is impossible to keep our grocery stores stocked if our plants are not running i believe right now that's the third plant that is shut down so if you're someone who loves meat i got bad food, bad news for you y'all are going to go vegan. But yeah, yup. It's just the way it's going to be. You know why? Plant goods, dried goods can last a long time and meat and dairy spoil. And as much as you might enjoy those things, I certainly love me a, a nice chicken sandwich with, with melty cheddar cheese and all the good fixins. Rice and beans can be stored away for a couple years. So when things get bad, don't be surprised if your meat is gone and you can't do anything about it. They say, while it's unclear whether the meat employee infections have anything to do with the workplaces, the news exposes the vulnerability of global supply chains that are needed to keep grocery stores stocked after panic buying left shelves empty. Yeah, well, people were panic buying because of this. You know what's interesting? There was uh, in New York City, Bill de Blasio said, no, no, everybody's scared of coronavirus. Go out, party, do your thing. And I, I understand what he was trying to do. But it's interesting that People in New York were worried about the coronavirus and he was downplaying it and trying to encourage them to ignore their fears. The people knew that things were getting bad and they were encouraged by Bill de Blasio to ignore their fears. Many of these people may have gotten sick and died already because New York's been hit very, very hard. And that's, it's, it's really unfortunate. I mean, it's not just Blasio, Cuomo, you know, Newsom, all of these governors and, and Donald Trump as well. I don't, I don't think it's, no one saw this coming. The World Health Organization and China deserve most of the blame on this one, for sure. I'm, what, what, the reason I'm bringing up Bill de Blasio is not because I want to drag the guy. I, I really do want him to succeed, and I hope he does. New York is in desperate need of help. I want to point out that when people rush and, and, and start you know, panic buying, I guess, there's a difference between uh, um, a realistic, rational fear and appropriate supply gathering and panic buying, for sure but they call it all panic buying. I saw these photos and videos. People were buying a regular stock of groceries. Now, the people who loaded up their shopping cart full of toilet paper with like 10 packages, yeah, that's panic buying. The people who had a gallon of milk, a thing of eggs and some bread and went to the store and there were huge lines of people, that's not panic buying necessarily. They were like, I better go to the grocery store and get the supplies I need. Well, now these people are going to food banks and it's not necessarily because of supply shortage. It's because they lost their jobs. The economy is very important. And as much as people want to rag on it, things are getting bad. We're seeing suicides. You know, I'm not going to show, I don't, I don't want to show these people. I want to respect their privacy. But yes, people are freaking out. You know, look, many of us probably don't get it. I was thinking about this the other day. I got a decent sized house, um, regular size house. Uh, I got a backyard. We've got some skate stuff set up in the backyard so we can have some physical activities. Got a little fire pit going. It's really nice. We got a little table. So we get to hang out outside in the beautiful sunlight with the, with, outside. We got video games. We got big old TV with a PlayStation on it. It's very nice. Um, Maybe regular, you know, suburb. Maybe it's something you're familiar with. Like, yeah, I got a backyard too. People in Chicago, for instance, they have backyards. They can go outside. People in New York, however, and in big cities like downtown or like in the city proper, they don't. They're trapped in little cubicles. They can't go outside. Let me show you something, man. Let me show you how freaky things are getting now. This is the UK and we know the UK is a nightmare state, sure. Central Community Team, Central Beds CPT tweeted. If you think that going for a picnic in a rural location, no one will find you, don't be surprised if an officer appears from the shadows. We are covering the whole country, urban and rural. Stay home, save lives, protect the NHS. These people, these are Nazis. I'm going to go there. I'm going to play that game. Okay, they're not really, but man, This is the most disgusting, despicable thing I have ever seen. If you think being outside in isolation in the middle of nowhere is safe, we're coming for you, they said. Now, look, we know the UK is a nightmare state already. I'm bringing this up because for my uh, neighbors across the pond, I mourn for you. For us Americans, we better make sure it doesn't come to our shores, and it is coming. Some dude paddleboarding, minding his own business, getting arrested. Some dude running down the beach, minding his own business, getting arrested. There's a big difference between going out and having a party and someone in the middle of nowhere minding their own business. But they say, we're coming for you. That's how bad it's getting. I wonder if one of the reasons they're enforcing this lockdown is not necessarily because of the pandemic, but because of a fear of civil unrest. In New York City, stores have started boarding up their windows. Commercial burglaries, looting is up 75%. Now, maybe looting is a bit strong, but let me tell you this. A commercial burglar in any given day, I call it a commercial burglary. Somebody breaks into a store, steals a TV. I get it. When you have a pandemic, the city is locked down and 20% of the police force is out sick and the city is crippled. Then people start going into shops and taking things. Yeah, I call that looting. I think that's the main reason that they're, they're so desperate to keep people in their homes. Sure, sure, there's a pandemic. You know, you, you don't want to get sick. I don't want to get sick, man. I, people I know have gotten this. It does not look pretty. they can have permanent lung damage. And I've, and, and I've seen the stories of people at these news organizations and other places that are losing their lives. I have heard the anecdotes from friends and friends of friends about their family members dying from this. I've seen Facebook posts that have shocked me in the beginning Everything felt so far away, but every day it feels like it's getting closer and closer to home. So I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people who think it's not really happening or the numbers are exaggerated. Then why are these factories shutting down when when this outbreak happens? I don't know what to tell you, man. What I can say is the authoritarian nightmare will be upon us. Now, check this out. Over in Vancouver, they've been protesting this. Dan Dix, uh, at Dan Dix, PFT on Twitter, tweets protest to end the lockdown happening now in Vancouver. Dan Dix is an independent journalist. And, you know, he posts things on social media. You can check him out. But he's got this from Vancouver where you can see it's a small gathering. It's like, well, like 20 people. I don't think it's very large at all. But these people are doing this because of things like we've seen already. People getting arrested for minding their own business. And and, And you know, people have said, you want a Boogaloo, this is how you get a Boogaloo. And I know, I know media matters and right-wing watch don't like the term boogaloo. They say it's right-wing propaganda or some like a meme or whatever. No, it just means breakdown of social order and civil unrest or civil war. You want to start locking up people for picnicking in the middle of nowhere. Don't be surprised when protests happen. And when protests happen, don't be surprised when COVID spreads to the protesters. You also had people on Easter refusing to back down and holding their worship uh, ceremonies. I don't blame them. It's their it's their First Amendment right. So we got a serious problem. Now there is a, a moral conundrum here, and I will bring it up with a tweet from David Packman. He responded to Dan Dix by saying it was only a matter of time until this crap started. One, are you an infectious disease doctor or public health expert? If yes, participate in guideline formulation. If no, follow the advice of infectious d- disease doctors and public health experts. I actually agree. With, I agree with David. You are not going to see me go outside and protest. At least for now. For now, I, tr- I look. I think there's a happy medium between do I trust the government and do I resist. And the doctors aren't part of the government. I mean, sort of. Look, if a bunch of doctors are saying it's unlike anything I've ever seen, I'm gonna take their word for it. So I think protesting right now, at least, in the, look, they're, they're in Canada. Whatever. I don't know what the rights are in Canada. How that works? If you want to worship, if you want to go out and protest, hey man, you got a First Amendment for now. I'm not going to do that. You know why? Here's how I always explain it to activists. There's, there's a lot of people who believe authority doesn't exist. They're wrong. Authority does exist. There are a lot of people who just blindly obey anyone who claims to be in a position of authority. That's also stupid. During Occupy Wall Street, I had people say, you know, the, the cops have no real authority, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, hold on. They do. Okay. But there's a difference between arbitrary authority and real authority, right? When a cop walks up to you during a protest and says, that's a frozen zone. And they did this in New York. I say, oh, F off frozen zone. You made that up. They literally made it up. You can't tell me I can't stand here. I have a first amendment right to do so. Now, if they say something like we have reasonable suspicion that someone has committed a crime, we received a complaint, then they can detain you. Then there's like a a legal system in place. Not perfect. They can't just walk up to you and enforce arbitrary things. You can actually sue, but it's complicated. But let me tell you what, if a cop came up to me and started spitting out some random nonsense, and I knew it was nonsense, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be strategic about it. You know, if they want to falsely arrest somebody, then fine. But you know, you don't want to get into a fight. You, you do, within reason, have to obey the officers. And then you fight after the fact of the legal system. You don't always win. You don't. The system is powerful. But I'll tell you what, if a doctor came up to me, If I'm out in the middle of nowhere, let's say I'm in in the middle of New York, minding my own business, walking down the street and there's a doctor and he says, you come with me now. I'm a doctor. That man right there is dying. I'd be like, okay, that's authority. A doctor who like, let's say he's like in his uniform and he's got the badge and there's a guy like, you know, spazzing on the ground, like something I can really see and trust. I'm like, all right, all right, you're the doctor. Or a better example would be like, you see someone get injured and they're on the ground bleeding and the doctor says, you come here and put your hands here. Do it now. Not going to ask questions. That's authority. We, 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 we recognize the common good. So right now, we have doctors telling us this thing is bad. The problem is, while I will trust the doctors and I personally don't want to get sick, as the government continues its overreach and its arbitrary enforcement, you will get more protests. As food shortages start to arise and people can't get access to food, you will see worse than protests. You will see looting, rioting, vandalism. It'll get bad. So for now, you know, I respect the idea that David Pakman is putting forward because I do agree. But I also think it's silly to to deride or insult Dan Dix and these other protesters. I don't know if he's actually trying to deride Dan Dix. Dan's is just reporting on it. So journalists is an, journalism is an essential function. Yes, they're allowed to be out doing their thing. Be careful though. You know, social distance and all that good stuff. But I wouldn't call it crap. I would just say it was only a matter of time until we saw this. There's no reason to deride what people are doing. I, I don't agree with that. I think David's got the gist of it right. The doctors are trying to tell us what to do to keep us all safe. And the sooner we get through this, the sooner, you know, we're done. Maybe you can't do anything about it, man. There people want to be free and people do not want a government forcing them to do things no matter what, even if it means they're gonna take serious risks. You won't see me doing that. But I understand why people are. As time, as, as, as we move forward in this and we see more and more people, you know, farmers dumping food, food going going dry. Uh, the the risk is is ever increasing. But I will end this with some relatively good news. I did briefly mention this. Santa Fe, New Mexican reports from farms to food banks. New initiative seeks to benefit food growers as well as the hungry. The problem right now, farmers are destroying food, dairy, you know, crops, and food banks need food. The idea is let's get that food from the farmers to the food banks. There isn't that, that will that will be the next band aid. Unfortunately it's a band-aid. You see, as long as the economy isn't running, how will the farmers then get more food? They grow it, but they require resources to grow it. So for now, there is some good news. We're not at the the, the ship is not going down just yet. It is sinking. We are in trouble. But this is a is a, a is an effort that will stop will slow it. You know, my bigger concern here and the general premise behind this whole segment is if we see the government come in and start delivering the food to the food banks, you've now got millions of people tied, dependent completely upon government for their food. They'll never protest. But if the government can't deliver food, which will happen because this can't sustain itself, then people will. And it'll be interesting to see because communism doesn't work. The idea that the government can run the economy, it's just not possible. They don't have the computational power to do it. That's what, that's why capitalism makes more sense. Everyone decides what they need and invests their energy into things they need. They can freely buy the goods that they need. This is the breakdown. It's not, it's not going to end tomorrow. I don't know when, but I'll tell you what, man, with food plants shutting down, they're saying 18 months. I don't think we can last that long. It's been what, a month here in the US? And it's already gotten this bad. ATVs and motorcycles speeding down the street, people getting arrested. Yeah, I I hate to see what'll happen on month two, three, four, five, six. You get it. I hope you've taken precautions. I'll leave it there. Next segment will be coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel, and I will see you all then. CNN's Brian Stelter is getting shredded on Twitter because he doesn't seem to understand how the United States is supposed to work. But this story is actually much more fascinating because we can see the perfect hypocrisy of CNN. You see, Brian Stelter comes out, and there's actually two things here, and says, uh, according to this story, administration officials have a political interest in having the states run the show, and then says, let that quote sink in. He later tries to deflect saying, I didn't actually say anything. It's just a quote from a story, except he said, let that quote sink in. We know what he was trying to imply. And it actually wasn't a direct quote from the officials. It was a quote from the story. So I'm not sure that matters all that much. We'll read this. But another funny thing happened because a day later, CNN runs the story that Trump wants to reopen the economy, but the governors must decide. So which is it? Trump's secret plot. To put the onus on governors to absolve himself of of responsibility into what's going on, or is it that the governors actually are in charge? So this gets funnier because then Trump tweeted shortly after, and CNN, yes, of course, they're outraged, saying, "No, I can reopen the economy if I want." There's two different things here. We'll we'll, we'll break it down. Yes, Trump can reopen the economy uh, if he wants. It's my understanding under certain. It, it, it probably won't be exactly the same as if the governors did it, but there are certain ways you can probably get around it. But yes, the governors do have substantial control over how their state functions, and Trump is probably wrong about this one. But w- 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 we, will, we will dive into that. Let's just get started first with the roasting of Brian Stelter. Now, here's the thing. The reason I'm doing this is because Brian Stelter tweeted out a loaded statement telling people to like, let it sink in clearly with some kind of anti-Trump political commentary. That's what it means. We know what it means. And then tried passing it off. So no, you don't get a freebie on this one. Town Hall says CNN's Brian Stelter made waves over the weekend when he tweeted a critique of President Trump that seemed to show a lack of comprehension about how the United States government was designed. Quote, admin officials say the White House has made a deliberate political calculation that it will be that it will better serve Trump's interest to put the onus on governors rather than the federal government to figure out how to move ahead. Let that quote sink in. Stelter wrote Friday, the veteran anchor and host of Reliable Sources, a show created ostensibly as a fact checker for other media sources, shared his thoughts as a quote from unidentified quote admin officials, but was quickly corrected online. Yes, here's what Maggie Maggie uh, uh, I'm sorry Molly Hemingway said. Yes, the US Constitution is a hundreds year long plot to help Trump win re-election. Excellent take, said Molly Hemingway. Also, it's not a quote, but an unsupported assertion based on reporters' dubious and unverifiable unverifiable interpretation of what they claim anonymous sources told them. Oh, I love it. This is the toilet flow regurgitation of quotes from random people we don't know then gets passed off as like a direct quote. You know what, man? They have no idea what they're talking about. Stelter's tweet linked to an article from the Washington Post, which was also critical of Trump's handling of the Wuhan coronavirus pandemic, but chided what they perceived as the president's lack of a plan, not his yielding power to state and local government. The quote which Stelter clearly attributed to admin officials was actually a quote from the authors of the Washington uh, Washington Post, which said, administration officials speaking on the condition of anonymity to describe internal deliberations say the White House has made a deliberate political calculation that it will better serve Trump's interest to put the onus on governors rather than the federal government to figure out how to move ahead. Emphasis added. So, so what they added the emphasis now, now I, I think it is fair to say the gist of what the admin officials are trying to get across is what Brian Seltzer was tweeting and, and, and it's Twitter shorthand. So I'm not going to blame him for that necessarily. They say the article did not offer any critique of the president for tapping governors and local legislators to choose their own regulations and assess the risk of local communities. Leaving power with the local elected officials is a tenet of federalism and was carefully designed by the founding fathers to avoid overreach and power grabs from the federal government. So here we have one person saying, let's start at the beginning. There was a guy named James Madison who went to Philadelphia and had an idea for a national government. But there were also small states with different ideas. So here, here we have uh, Beth Bauman saying, say it with me, Brian, Constitution. Alexa, define United States. Stop. Don't. I have one. It's, it's going to start talking to me. Alexa, stop. There we go. No, it turned on. Stop. I hate these things. There we go. It stopped. Neon Taster says, wow, states looking at specific situation and tailoring policy to the jurisdictions. Madness. This person says, holy crap, you have no idea what federalism is. All right. So here's the tweet from Brian Stelter. And here's what he said. Admin officials say the White House, blah, blah, blah. Here's the line. Let that quote sink in. Brian Stelter then thought it'd be appropriate to retweet some criticism of him and try and pass off the criticism. Check this out. So he actually retweeted this guy. This is straight up the dumbest thing Brian Stelter has said during this pandemic. And there's been some doozies. So Trump is encouraging the basic model of how our government is supposed to function. How dare he? To which Brian Stelter replied, it's a quote from the New York Times. So you should probably take out your anger on them. First of all, It's not a quote from the New York Times. It's a quote from the Washington Post, Brian. Second of all, wait, is your tweet written by someone at the New York Times? I don't know what you're trying to say. But more importantly, I put in quotes, let that quote sink in. You see, there's some people that uh, uh, we know and expect to say, let that sink in. Notably, Paul Joseph Watson and Charlie Kirk. And we understand what let that quote sink in is supposed to mean. It's supposed to mean it's something serious and bad. And whoa, consider what this means. I don't know what Brian Stelter was trying to get across by claiming that the New York Times quoted that when it was actually the Washington Post, I guess. I mean, as far as I can tell, it's a quote from the Washington Post, right? That's what they say. Look, it was a, a, from the Washington Post article. So, it, you know, I'll put it this way. If Brian's wrong about who quoted this, I don't understand why he tweeted a link to a Washington Post story, which we can clearly see. So yes, Donald Trump wants the governors and local governments to run this show on their own. Something interesting then happens. Take a look at this. Oliver Darcy tweeted, Chiron on CNN earlier this hour, Trump wants to reopen economy, but governors will decide. What? Which is it? Trump has got a nefarious plot for reelection, or the governors have ultimate authority. I can't even tell you. Look, Trump jumped in on this one. Here's what Trump tweeted. For the purpose of creating conflict and confusion, some in the fake news media are saying that it is the governor's decision to open up the states, not that of the president of the United States and the federal government. Let it be fully understood this is incorrect. It is the decision of the president, and for many good reasons. With that being said, the administration and I are working closely with the governor's and this will continue. A decision by me in conjunction with the governors and input from others will be made shortly. I believe Trump is absolutely incorrect. I think the states can basically do what they want. Now, I understand. You're going to hear from a lot of people tell you he's right, he's wrong. No, ultimately, I think the first assessment was correct when everyone was pointing out that the states ultimately will control their local's jurisdiction. Case in point, two big stories. In California, you have the sanctuary state thing going on, where they're ordering their local law enforcement not to comply with ICE and CBP and and, and certain uh, federal regulations, they're doing it. You've also had California legalize recreational and medicinal marijuana, and the federal government came in. So there's there, there's there's clashes, right? The federal government does have authority to go in states and do these things, but the states also have the authority to do what they want as well. Trump wants the governors to do it, but says he has the power to reopen things. I think Trump is wrong. I I absolutely do. You can also look at Virginia and see how they're doing Second Amendment sanctuary counties, where many areas of of the state have declared that they will not be enforcing some of these new restrictions and regulations. I believe Trump, for the most part, is, well, it's tough. Trump is wrong, for sure. Of course, the media will claim Trump is lying about what's happening. Okay, you know, CNN first, trying to play it both ways. And I think it's weird that Trump is coming out and saying this. But what I think ultimately that Trump is saying, if he really wanted to, there's ways he could force the states to reopen. The states can reopen if they want. The states can close if they want. The federal government can come in and look. When California tried setting up their dispensaries, the DEA came in and started raiding a bunch of these shops. Ultimately, the federal government can come in and do these things and and make these changes. It's complicated, to say the least. But what I love about this story, and there's more because I'm not going to leave it there. What I love about this story is how it starts with Trump. Saying the, the governors are going to have to do this. The onus is on the governors. And Brian Stutter saying, let that sink in. Was, was Brian fact checked by his own news outlet being wrong? Look, I get it. Trump is wrong often. He's right often as well. Sometimes he says things that are not true. You want to call it a lie? You want to call it misinformation? I don't care what you call it. But here's CNN starting the whole debacle, saying that simultaneously the onus on governors is a Trump plot but then coming out and saying, nope, Trump can't reopen the economy if he wants to. This is evidence of the orange man bad narrative. It's the, it's the, it's the system design at CNN. It's the only thing they know how to do. If Trump says it, it must be wrong. What Oliver Darcy, Darcy must be pointing out here is that Donald Trump was probably watching CNN, I suppose. But I'm now going to uh, show you something about CNN just because I feel like showing it and it's kind of gross. You're being warned right now it has to do with a CNN show, their desperation, and the reason I'm bringing it up is that recently on the Joe Rogan podcast, he was talking with someone about objectivity, and he said CNN was trying to survive. It's why that why they do the things they do. Case in point, Brian's out there saying Trump let that sink in, you know, wants to make the governments take the governors take responsibility, but then CNN later reports that the governors are the ones who have to do it. Both can't be true. Pick one. CNN is just trying to survive. Joe was correct. Now that you've been warned, I hope you're ready for this next, this next article because some of you might not like it. It has to do with um, eating human. Uh, so you're being warned again. Here we go. This is a story from several years ago, March 6, 2017. Reza Aslan, host of CNN's Believer, catches grief for showcasing religious cannibals in India. The reason I'm, I'm highlighting this story from a long time ago, it's a couple reasons. Reza Aslan has been a very, very vocal, woke, nasty person on Twitter. Uh, something I, is my personal belief that after this moment, it really destroyed his psyche. I think, you know, CNN trying to survive, trying to figure out how to, how to navigate this territory ultimately did a segment and they aired the segments, the craziest thing where Reza Aslan eats human. He eats human. I'm not exaggerating, literally sitting down with these people. They give him a piece of human brain and he eats it. He could have gotten up at any point and walked away. He did it. And he later was like making jokes on Twitter and Facebook about it. Yeah, they were desperate. It was one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen. That That is not how you make content. See, at the time, this is back in 2017. The show, the, the show was probably filmed several months before that. Vice was the, the the cream of the crop, the golden child of new media. And everyone wanted to be edgy and make these edgy documentaries. Vice on HBO was doing really well, won some Emmys. I believe CNN was chasing after this. So what they end up doing is getting this guy Reza and they say, we're going to do a bunch. They they did a series of like travel docs. They need to figure it out because, you know, clearly just running news 24 seven wasn't working. And they said, go for this. So he did. And it's the crazy thing about this. CNN aired this in the show. Reza Aslan only ran away after, according to the Washington Post, the cannibals started throwing their waste at him. He could have ran away before eating the human meat, but he chose to. This is how extreme CNN is. Now, now Nelson, there there, there is a specific reason I'm bringing this up. Bear with me. And And I do have more for you. When you see what CNN is willing to do, how far they're willing to go to survive, literally depict someone eating human meat because they think it's edgy and it'll get them a lot of traffic. It certainly got them traffic, destroyed this guy's life as far as I can tell. I mean, he's on Twitter and he is messed up. I think that, look, when you see the politics when you see the wishy-washy double standard, when CNN contradicts itself consistently, it sounds like, you know, some people, well, let me put it this way. Some people just, they don't know, right? It's reasonable when you see Brian Salter say, Trump is trying to put the onus on governors. He's trying to skirt his responsibility. You hear that and you're like, oh, wow, is Trump really doing that? And then a day later, they report the governors are the ones who have to decide, which contradicts what they previously, you know, previously claimed. Granted, Brian Stelter is an individual; CNN is a network. I get it. To be fair, but when you show them this, this like what Brian Stelter is doing and what these other uh, journalists—well, I'll use air quote activists at CNN, whatever you want to call them—what they're doing is the equivalent of eating brain on TV. When you see the brain eating, you know it's insane. You see the desperation. You're like, wow, they must be nuts. What CNN has done since then is they've stopped doing this kind of travel, this kind of field reporting. And now it's panel after panel about orange man Bad. I go to to my Instagram, go to Instagram, got uh, Instagram, Instagram.com slash timcast. Take a look at the post. You have to scroll down. You'll find it. And I did this thing where I do this all the time with my friends. I'll put on Fox News and they'll be like talking about some news event. And in this particular instance, they're like protests in Hong Kong, protests in Iran. You switch to CNN. What do you get? Well, Donald Trump and the impeachment, I wait a week, I do it again. Fox, Fox News is talking about severe weather is impacting the country. You switch to CNN. Well, the impeachment of Donald Trump, scandal, scandal, scandal. It's all they do. CNN is completely desperate. And so they've started doing this nonsensical trash. But there's another factor in the fake news that we will now get to. And you see, I'm actually happy to show you this next bit. The other day, the New York Times ran a puff piece protecting Joe Biden because he has been credibly accused by a woman. To start off, of course, I don't much care for 30-year-old allegations. I am not interested in entertaining them. I'm sorry, Tara Reid. I'm not, meant, I'm not trying to say, say this to be disrespectful to you or anyone else. But you can't come out 30 years later, 27 years to be fair, and say, you know, these things happen. I'm filing a criminal report, especially in an election cycle. I'm not a fan of it. Sorry. What's Biden supposed to do? However, we can now see Ben Smith of the New York Times, formerly of BuzzFeed, tweeting, I'm hoping to do a Q&A with Times editors later about the Biden-Tara Reid story. What should I ask? I know, rip my replies. John Levine of the New York Post says, I'd love to know more about the inclusion and later deletion of the last portion of this tweet, and specifically who made the call and was the New York Times contacted by the Biden campaign. You see, the New York Times actually corroborated the statement made by Tara Reid. I mean, this is actually better than, it's substantially more credible than what we saw with Brett Kavanaugh. The New York Times downplayed the whole thing check this out let me show you this tweet from Wesley Lowry Wesley Lowry I believe is with the Washington Post he's I'm sorry no he's correspondent for 60 minutes right now and he used to be with the Washington Post he's still wrapping up he said he, he wants to know about the placement deadpan of the line about filing a false police report is punishable by seems a little odd gave the impression suggestion the reporters believe there was reason to consider Reed's report false WaPO did this too. What was the thinking discussion around that? You see, they arbitrarily included the sentence in the New York Times piece that said filing a false police report is punishable, and they linked to the statute. Why? What did that have to do at all with the story? The reason I'm bringing this up, you can see CNN is chasing after desperation. You know, they're desperate. They're chasing after ratings and money because they're collapsing. The New York Times, on the other hand, with the subscription model, is chasing after politics. Joe Biden has been credibly accused. The accusation is substantially more credible, according to the New York Times own reporting, than the accusations against Brett Kavanaugh. But when it came to Kavanaugh, the New York Times wrote, what, several dozen stories entertaining the possibility of Kavanaugh being a bad person or an abuser. Joe Biden has been credibly accused of a criminal charge filed. And here's what the New York Times reported. What we see from John Levine, they said, we found no pattern of misconduct by Biden beyond hugs, kissing and touching. Yes, okay, we get it. He's an abuser. But you found nothing else? They deleted that section. However, they say they found found no pattern, even though there is a pattern. And later on in the story, Tara Reid says that after she filed a complaint, she was abruptly removed from her position. The New York Times corroborated this by talking to other staffers who said they didn't know anything about the allegation, but they do know that abruptly Tara Reid was removed from uh, supervisory roles. She was no longer supervising them, corroborating a claim made by Tara Reid. Does that prove she's right? No because for all we know, she got her duties reduced because she threw a pie in someone's face. I have no idea. But this is what she said. The New York Times found corroborating evidence to her story. Well, you can't just outright dismiss that the way they did. And they did dismiss it. The good news is, for now, we have Ben Smith actually going to talk to them about it. I don't think they're going to get away with this. Reporters from many other outlets are calling this out, including a a former Washington Post reporter, a New York Post reporter. Granted, that's the Washington Post left, you know, to the left and New York Post to the right. People are, are rightfully calling out this very obvious double standard. We are seeing it from activists. But the point is, I don't want to get into the activist stuff, the media. So here you go. The media may actually be forced to, to uh, the New York Times may be forced to actually reconcile with this fake news they've pumped out. Meanwhile, you can see what CNN is trying to do. It's all about desperation. The motivations from the New York Times seem to be clearly political. In fact, one other journalist asks, why? Let, let me see if I can find it. This guy, Alex Lawson, let's see who he is. He's an international trade reporter uh, for Law 360. Said, Why was this story assigned to the political team rather than the very accomplished investigative reporters who have worked on high profile misconduct stories? Bingo. The New York Times didn't even give this to the investigative team? The political team? Yeah. Activists. Desperation. Two different kinds. The New York Times, we gotta make sure Trump loses. And CNN, probably a little bit of that too but also we will do whatever it takes to get paid including airing footage of a human eating human Reza Aslan could have walked away from that whenever he wanted he ran away when they threw their waste at him he could have ran away when they tried to get him to eat brain but they were so desperate for ratings that they rolled with it how insane are these people let me just let me just finish that that thought stop here and say CNN ate Human brain. This is a guy for CNN on their show eating human on TV. I'm never going to let them live that down. Also, you know, honorable mention. Remember when Don Lemon asked whether or not a black hole could have swallowed an airplane, and then his guest said, "Oh, we are you know even a, a small black hole would swallow the whole universe." No, it won't. CNN, you garbage. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. YouTube.com/slash TimCast. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then. Back in March, John Levine for the New York Post wrote a story, Bernie bros warn of massive exodus if Democrats nominate Joe Biden. Well, that was March 14th, 2020. Today it is April 13th, 2020. And sure enough, Joe Biden is the presumptive nominee and Bernie Sanders has endorsed him. You may have seen the earlier segment I did on this. If you haven't, check out youtube.com slash Timcast. My main channel, I call it, I don't know, whatever. It's more political and big news. But I talked a bit about it and talked about why. But we're seeing an interesting development. So I want to show you this uh, tweet from Brianna Joy Gray. She is the former national press secretary for Bernie Sanders and a former uh, contributing editor for Cura Affairs and the former senior politics editor at The Intercept. She worked for Bernie. She is not going to stand with him. There are many other Bernie Sanders supporters who are bailing on him now. Brianna Joy Gray tweeted, With the utmost respect for Bernie Sanders, who is an incredible human being and genuine inspiration, I don't endorse Joe Biden. I supported Bernie Sanders because he backed ideas like Medicare for All, canceling all student debt, and a wealth tax. Biden supports none of those. And you know what? Good for Joe Biden. Let's break some of these things down first. Medicare for All actually kind of a good thing in my opinion, but very, very, very difficult to implement and probably the biggest problem. More importantly, Bernie Sanders didn't just endorse Medicare for all. He wanted to ban private insurance, a serious mistake. Even these other countries he likes to tout haven't banned private insurance. Canceling all student debt, also rather extreme. Now, I'm actually for some kind of debt forgiveness, but not in this way. Bernie Sanders went too far with it. And the wealth tax, boy, let me tell you about the wealth tax. It makes literally no sense. You cannot tax Non, I don't know how you, you, you think, they're, they're, uh, they think they'll they think pull this off. If someone owns stock, which increases their net worth, how do you tax that if they don't have the cash? Sell it? Okay, then, then what? The company collapses? There's a lot of problems I'm not going to go through. Let's, let's jump to the tweets from Brianna. I don't want to rant on politics. Brianna Joy Gray goes on to say, I look forward to seeing what these task forces come up with. The support of a multitude of progressives hinges on Biden making meaning, meaningful concessions to the left not just lip service, not merely symbolic overtures. She then links to the New York Times story about Ocasio-Cortez, which I also cited, where AOC rags on Joe Biden for not being progressive enough. It would be a serious mistake for Democrats to actually take these people seriously. I'm sorry. I know not every progressive Bernie Sanders supporter is a bad person. They're mostly good people, in fact, but they have bad ideas that most Americans don't want. I'll break this down. Just give me a second. Brianna says, on the live stream today Biden said he thinks it's ridiculous that we don't treat healthcare as a human right. If that's true, I look forward to him embracing Medicare for all. See, this th- there's a serious problem with the healthcare as a human right thing. I talk about this all the time. The easiest way to explain it is that we're in a pandemic. There's a limited number of beds. Nurses and doctors are quitting. They are being stressed and strained. You think these people are obligated to serve you? That's disgusting. No, it's not the case. Now Joe Biden, of course, is pandering, saying healthcare is a human right. To spare me, dude. If you can afford it, good. If someone is there to provide it for you, good. But you are not entitled to someone else's labor. That's slavery. I, I, and and they try to pass this off like no, it isn't. No, it is. You can't force someone to do anything. If you are not a doctor, you have no access to healthcare. Period. So there have been some responses to her tweet. Adam Green and let's see who Adam Green is. He is the co-founder of Progressive Change Campaign, said, take your time, you deserve it. Bernie did not support a wealth tax or canceling student debt at the start, for the record. The questions many may ultimately face is, if Biden supports cancel student debt, expand Social Security, etc. in a one-year coronavirus bill, do you take the win and build? One person said, please run for office, I bet we could get you a DSA endorsement. Now, unsurprisingly. The Democratic Socialists of America have tweeted that they will not be endorsing Joe Biden. And I got to say, my respect to all of the Democratic Socialists and former Bernie Sanders supporters who refuse to endorse Joe Biden. I, I absolutely respect that. Joe Biden is a terrible candidate, should not have run. And as much as I disagree with Bernie Sanders, and I know I rag on their ideas, there are many good Bernie Sanders supporters who rag on my ideas and say bad things about me. Hey, that's the game, right? We play politics. We talk politics. We have opinions. They're all entitled to them. But no honest person right now is actually supporting Joe Biden. So I'll tell you what, Bernie, Bernie Sanders endorses Joe Biden. That is a lie. That is deception. That is deceit. That is disgusting. Bernie Sanders. Are you kidding me, dude? Well, he endorsed Hillary Clinton. We all saw it coming. A bunch of other high profile Bernie Sanders supporters have have said basically the same thing. There's no way they'll ever get behind Biden. Good. They shouldn't. Let's take a look at this story. The Bernie bros warn this is going to happen. The New York Post says the Bernie bros are vowing revenge as the presidential campaign of Bernie Sanders continues to crash and burn. The socialists most hardcore supporters are vowing they will never vote for Joe Biden at the ballot box, even if that means handing Trump a second term. Quote, we will never, never boost or support Joe Biden or defend his abysmal record and terrible policy positions. Henry Williams, executive director of the Gravel Institute, told the Post, we will tell people as we always have to vote their conscience and to make decisions based on the interests of all of the world's oppressed people. I do expect a massive exodus from the Democratic Party. I agree. I like the Gravel Institute, people. I do. Mike uh, Gravel, he was that uh, Gravel, maybe I'm pronouncing his name wrong. He's like a former senator. He, re- he was running a presidential a campaign. Actually, he, he had, I, I believe, the donor threshold to get the Democratic debates, but they held him out because he wasn't on any polls. Complete BS. And I supported his right to be at the debate. I think they're okay people. I think they're good people. There's a lot of progressives I really like, a lot of Bernie supporters who are great people. And I think at the end of it, all of us are anti-establishment. So while I absolutely love ragging on what I think are bad ideas and on their bad ideas- I will absolutely stand hand in hand with them as they sing songs about Joe Biden being awful because Joe Biden is awful. Can we all please agree that that's the case? It's the same thing with Hillary Clinton all over again. Everyone knew how bad she was. Everyone knows how bad Joe Biden is. But here we are, Bernie Sanders, as predicted. I'm surprised so many people are are actually surprised by this. Many people on Twitter are also pointing out, dude, you knew he was going to do this. We all did. Bernie Sanders has betrayed the left. We get it. Well, the Democrats, they're, they're not faring so well. We have another story here. Polit- uh, Democrats fear for November after Wisconsin voting spectacle. The party is scrambling to adapt for a fight over ballot access that has make or break implications for the general election. I'll tell you what, man, I'm kind of wondering if the Democrats actually want Trump to be the president. We have story after story. I'm kind of sick of talking about it, but the Democrats freak it out. They're, they're freaking out over a, over a variety of reasons. Wisconsin was a disaster. They're pointing the blame at the Republicans and the Supreme Court for not allowing the election to be postponed. I actually think postponing the election makes the most sense, but they weren't allowed to do it. Some states have been. Listen, Democrats, the Republicans didn't make the pandemic, okay? Changing the rules at the last minute doesn't make sense. And I'll tell you what, in my opinion, we should postpone as many elections as we can, because of the pandemic, not change the rules, not vote by mail, none of this stuff. There have been a lot of Democrats who said the solution is vote by mail. Republicans have pushed back. Well, I don't care about what the reason. Some The Democrats say the Republicans are trying to disenfranchise people. The Republicans are saying the Democrats are trying to cheat. None of it matters. I don't care what your reason for it is. You don't change the rules in the middle of an election. The Democrats are flipping and floundering. They have no idea what's going on. So they're trying to change the game. It's what, they, what they've always done. And I think it's fair to say, We've got a few factors here. The Bernie, Bernie's own staff won't go behind Biden, won't stand for him. Bernie bros have been saying repeatedly they will not get behind Biden. The Democrats are freaking out over what's happening. Let me just tell you, man, I can all almost predict tomorrow's segment. Democrats panicking as Bernie Sanders supporters tear them to shreds. Why would any Bernie Sanders supporter get behind you? That was the only thing you had going for you. Bernie Sanders isn't winning in many of these states, Biden is. But there are a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters and Joe Biden is not viable. You know, if if you got someone else that was a Democratic establishment player but could actually form sentences, I wouldn't be surprised if you actually did get some uh, Sanders supporters behind him. Like Joe Rogan, for instance, when he said he would rather have Trump over Biden because you don't know where Biden's going to be in a year. The dude can't talk straight and we all get it. It doesn't matter what's going on in Wisconsin, in my opinion. It doesn't matter what's happening with the Supreme Courts or mail-in voting. I think that's all a distraction. The reality is people are not enthusiastic about Biden, and you are slapping all of us in the face. I don't necessarily know where you'd, where you'd place me on a political uh, spectrum in American politics, but I'd probably fall somewhere between in, in like centrist populist. The one thing I agree on with the right and the left, for the most part, is anti-establishment opposing the corporate democrat nonsense trying to get real candidates who actually talk about issues. Unfortunately, for the left, Bernie Sanders isn't it. Bernie Sanders is backing the establishment. And and I don't understand how you could get behind a candidate who would do that. Find a candidate who would say no when when Trump was asked about it. I could be wrong about this about supporting the Republican and he says we'll see or something like that. Bernie Sanders right up was like you got it, you got it whatever you say gets right behind Hillary Clinton. I want a candidate I don't care if they're left, right, top down, what, honest, you know, there's, there's a, a bunch of politicians I really like. I like Tulsi Gabbard. I like Dan Crenshaw. I like Rand, uh, Rand Paul. I don't agree with all of them on, on, on every issues. I actually agree a little bit more with, with, with Tulsi on some things, notably war, like Dan Crenshaw and her had a really uh, interesting back and forth, I think, or I think someone brought up their back and forth because they don't completely agree. But I like Rand Paul for his libertarian stance. I don't agree with him on a lot of cultural uh, ideological positions, but I view them as honest politicians. Not perfect. Definitely, you can criticize them. But that's what I want to see. Someone who actually just says it like it is, calls it out, and says, you know what? I'm running for me. I'm not going to endorse anybody. I'm going to endorse me. How about that? Bernie and his supporters are are, are chasing after a, a dream that will never happen. The Democrats will not embrace you. And, and the people chasing after Bernie should have realized this when Bernie endorsed Hillary Clinton. All right, I'm not, I'm not going to rant too long. I try to keep these short, so I'll leave it there. I got a couple more segments coming up for you in a few minutes. I'll see you all shortly. In a newsletter from former CNN producer Steve Krakauer, he actually argues somewhat facetiously that Jim Acosta and Alcindor are helping Trump get, elect- get reelected. I actually think he means they literally are doing it. But the joke he makes is that Jim Acosta is secretly working for the Trump campaign. Now, before you all start going, oh, harumph, Jim Acosta is awful. He would never work for Trump. It's a joke. But the joke is Jim Acosta plays perfectly into the hands of Donald Trump. It is It is like, you know, Trump comes out and says the fake news. And then Jim Acosta is right there to be exactly what everyone needs as an example of how awful the press is. Grandstanding trash to sell a book. And he, bre- he breaks this down. I want to read this for you coming from a former CNN producer. it's my understanding. I could be wrong. This is from the First TV's Fourth Watch newsletter. Check it out. Acosta and Alessandro helping Trump get reelected. He writes, I don't think CNN White House correspondent Jim Acosta is a bad guy. I worked with him at CNN, and he was a solid, competent reporter. If Acosta's goal was to be a great White House reporter, he could probably do it. But that's not Jim Acosta's goal. Jim Acosta wants to be famous. I've written before three years ago that Acosta clearly aspires to use this opportunity to spar with President Trump, hashtag resistance signal on Twitter, and generally build his brand to move on to bigger things, a primetime show maybe, or at least a few late night TV appearances. To get an idea of Jim Acosta's priorities, here was his Twitter profile background last year during his book tour. And lo and behold, it is Jim Acosta smiling, promoting his book over on Jimmy Kimmel. You know what, man? We need an honest press. We need people who are willing to tell us what's happening in an honest way so we can figure it out for ourselves. And by all means, journalists have opinions. No one's saying they shouldn't. I have opinions all the time, but I'm not going to falsely frame things or lie about what's going on. I could be wrong for sure, but I want you to make a decision for yourself. You can disagree with me all day and night. Most people do. Jim Acosta, nah, he wants to be on Jimmy Kimmel. Man, I tell you what, I could not stand any of that stuff. That's what he wants, though. Check it out. That he uh, Steve writes, Jim Acosta loves nothing more than Jim Acosta. But I've also half joked that if we found out years from now that Acosta was actually a plant and was secretly working for the Trump re-election campaign, I wouldn't be shocked. I love this. Take this moment from Friday's marathon coronavirus briefing. Watch how Acosta plays the role of absurd antagonistic journalist and tease up Trump to deliver what could essentially be a campaign message. Quote, We hear from a lot of people who see these briefings as sort of happy talk briefings, said Acosta. Do we have enough masks? No. Do we have enough tests? No. Do we have enough PPE? No. Then Trump jumps in and counters every point. There's nothing happy about it, Jim. This is sad talk, says Trump. These are the saddest news conference that I've ever had. I don't like doing them. You know why? Because I'm talking about death. There's no happy talk, Jim. This is the real deal. And and, and Steve's right on this. Not only Is he teeing up Trump for the perfect campaign message? Jim was wrong. Gavin Newsom just praised Donald Trump, saying he's delivered what Trump's been able to deliver. And Cuomo said that when Trump talks him on the phone, he always asks, how's your brother doing? How are things going? And praised the president. Now they bicker back and forth. But Jim Acosta, what are you talking about? Do we have enough tests? No. Look, man. The media goes back and forth on what's going on. It's really hard to figure it out. But Jim Acosta is wrong on this and just makes Trump look right. Is Jim secretly working for Trump? You know what, man? Useful idiot, I guess. I'd love to believe the fringe conspiracy theory because it's funny. Probably not. Of course not. But you know, hey, I wouldn't be surprised. Steve writes, Trump couldn't ask for a better foe than Jim Acosta. And the reporters who are trying to do good work and get answers to very real questions know this. One of those reporters who has shifted from fairly solid, uh, solid New York Times journalist to resistance signaler has been PBS's Yamachi Alcindor. During the same briefing, Alcindor took an answer from Surgeon General Jerome Adams, in which the African-American administrator member used terms like abuela and big mama to talk to Hispanic and black communities and noted on Twitter during the briefing, many found this language highly offensive. So Alcindor took the opportunity later in the briefing to ask him about this offensive commentary. Quote, there have been some people online that are already offended, she said, during the coronavirus briefing. Adam's answer was nuanced and thoughtful. He described conversations he's had recently with the NAACP and how they'd like like him to target outreach to the black community. Forget the double standard, like when President Obama said, get Uncle Joe, get Pookie, get Javier to vote. The lack of seriousness by some in the media is juxtaposed by uh, juxtaposed the seriousness of Trump and his administration during his briefings. As I've noted, Trump does veer away from that seriousness on Twitter. For sure. Trump, many people would like him to tweet less. Sometimes his tweets are hilarious and on point. Sometimes he goes on these big Twitter rants. I wonder who's in control of the phone when that happens. Steve writes, but exchanges like the ones with Acosta and Alcindor Friday during the coronavirus briefings are actively helping Trump get reelected, and they make all of the press look bad. Thank you, good sir. You are absolutely correct. Jim Acosta, get him out of there, man. You know, they, they complained about that Chanel Rion from One American News. Yeah, fine then get rid of Jim Acosta and you can get rid of people like Chanel as well. right? But as long as you want to have this as your standard, then don't be surprised when someone comes in and they're pro-Trump, when Jim Acosta comes in and just spews word vomit to tee up Trump for a perfect slam dunk. However, I do have some good news here. Recode wrote this story just today, and I am impressed. This is Vox.com, mind you. What went wrong with the media's coronavirus coverage? They actually say, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, for instance, didn't tell the country to stop gathering in groups until March 15th, weeks after a top CDC official announced the virus would begin spreading through the US. And after telling Americans for months they should not wear masks unless they are sick, the government formally flipped that advice on April 3rd and said everyone should wear some kind of covering on their face in certain public settings. I'm highlighting this to contrast that of Jim Acosta. This is Vox at least someone in media owning up to their serious mistakes. Let me break things down for you. Now, hindsight is 2020. Here's what I see early on. I said Trump wasn't taking this seriously enough. He should have done more. He was downplaying it. It now seems based on information we've received that Trump may have been downplaying it to prevent a panic. The reason I think that is because he received a memo immediately formed a task force and then shut down travel from China. More importantly, the CDC, as mentioned by Vox, was not was telling people to do their thing until March 15th. How is it Trump's fault? The entire government, the media, everyone messed this up. I appreciate the honesty. Check this out. This uh, who is this? Uh, Peter Kafka writes much of the mainstream media amplified the slow and muddled reaction to the rapidly spreading virus. Since alarming reports about COVID-19 began to emerge from China in January, the media often provided information to Americans that later proved to be wrong or at least inadequate. For instance, while President Trump has been correctly pilloried for describing the coronavirus as less dangerous than the flu, The message was commonplace in mainstream media outlets throughout throughout February. And journalists, including my colleagues at Vox, were dutifully repeating exhortation exhortations from public health officials not to wear masks for much of 2020. Where did Donald Trump get the idea that this was not as bad as the flu? Could it be the media kept saying it over and over again? Jim Acosta likes to get up and blame Trump for all of these problems teeing Trump up to say X. Hey, we're doing a good job. And if you actually track the media and watch what was going on, you would know that what he's saying is just not true. Trump was a victim of fake news. I think he didn't want to believe it. And then later, you know, early on, he was very serious. You had Republicans there were very serious. Uh, Tucker Carlson was very serious and Trump was downplaying it. As I mentioned, I think Trump was trying to prevent panic. The media, on the other hand, was just trying to say whatever Trump said was wrong. So when Trump came out saying, you know, the task force and the travel ban, the media, of course, then says it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Even Vox said it would not get bad. Washington Post, of course, said it wasn't as bad as the flu. Then once Trump starts saying it's not that bad, basically what the media was saying, they flip the script and accuse him of being wrong. And even Vox now saying he was wrong. He on to say, uh, Rico goes on to say, as we head into the next phase of this pandemic and as the stakes mount. It's worth looking back to ask how the media could have done better as the virus broke out of China and headed to the US. You know what? I agree. He says, why didn't we see this coming sooner? And once we did, why didn't we sound the alarm with more vigor? The same can be said for everyone in government. It can be said for the mayors, for the governors, for the media, for the president. I'm sick and tired of this being a partisan issue and everyone got it wrong. You know, Trump was calling it out while Bill de Blasio was saying everyone get together in New York. So you want to put the blame on the, on the worst hit city in the country, it's on Bill de Blasio. But I don't, even want to, I don't even want to play that game anymore. The media has been bad at this. The media deserves criticism. But the main reason I'm highlighting this to you now is that maybe it's time we all just stop, recognize we all got it wrong to varying degrees, and to move forward, we need to actually focus on solving these problems. I'm willing to make a bet. I'm not going to say what I think, because I know it'll fan the flames. One thing I can say, though, CNN. Get rid of Jim Acosta because he is muddying the waters. And to all these other outlets, get rid of the people who are muddying the waters as well, making it hard for us to understand what's really happening. You want to get rid of Trump's press briefings? Fine, stop airing them. Then stop airing people like Acosta. How about we all just sit down and figure out what to do? I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment's coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. Hashtag fire Fauci trends in the United States after Donald Trump retweets a post and sends the media into a frenzy. No, Fauci will not likely be fired. At least I hope not. And I think it's actually a really good thing that Trump and Fauci disagree. Check out the story from Vox. Fauci acknowledged a delay in the US coronavirus response. Trump then retweeted a call to fire him. Fauci said on CNN Sunday morning that the federal government could have acted sooner to limit the spread of coronavirus, and he's right. Now is that a a serious slamming of the president? Probably not. Trump retweeted something, and now here we are in this stupid controversy. We have a statement from the White House. I'm going to read to you. No, he's not being fired. And then I'll tell you. I think it's a really great thing we're seeing this. To be honest, and I'll, I'll tell you why. But first, let's read a little bit. Vox says. President Trump retweeted a call to fire Dr. Anthony Fauci Sunday evening, raising concerns about the job security of the public health expert, while once again highlighting the precarious role of experts and the overall uncertainty that has plagued the Trump administration's response to the coronavirus pandemic. The retweet came following a spate of television appearances by Fauci, who is the head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease and a member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force. Including a Sunday morning CNN interview, in which the doctor said earlier, uh, the doctor said earlier action could have limited the COVID ni- uh, limited COVID-19 related deaths. A conservative former California congressional nominee who has been a sharp Fauci critic on Twitter, Deanna Lorraine, responded to the interview by tweeting, "Fauci is now saying that had Trump listened to the medical experts earlier, he could have saved more lives." Fauci was telling people on February 29th that there was nothing to worry about and it posed no threat to the US public at large. Time to hashtag fire Fauci. Trump said, sorry, fake news. It's all on tape. I banned China long before people spoke up. Thank you. Trump did not say fire Fauci. The media is just desperate for something to cling on to. It is true. As far as I've seen, Fauci was wrong as well. We were all wrong, okay? Okay. In my first video, I said it wasn't a big deal. I got a ton of flack for it. And and I'll own up to that. It's just the way it is. None of us could see the future. I quickly changed my tune. Tucker Carlson came out saying this is going to be serious. And many people in the media did not. Many of us were were out in front of this way before the mainstream press. Dr. Fauci was the medical expert. He was saying it's not going to be that bad. Then it got bad perhaps they were just trying to stop a panic. And perhaps the reason Fauci is now saying this is because it's true. If we did X sooner, it's no one's fault that we didn't X sooner. Now, should Fauci be fired? Well, take a look at this from Axios. What Dr. Fauci has coming, they write. President Trump retweeted on Sunday, uh, on Sunday night, a tweet that concluded time to fire Fauci, which could unleash some conservatives simmering suspicions about Anthony Fauci. No, he didn't retweet it. Kind of. It was a quote tweet. So sure, it doesn't mean he endorsed it either. You know, journalists love to put in their bios on Twitter. Retweets do not equal endorsement. Apparently for Trump, it is. No, it's not. Please stop what they're saying. The White House pushed back on media speculation that Trump may fire Fauci on Monday afternoon, calling it ridiculous. Quote, The media chatter is ridiculous. President Trump is not firing Dr. Fauci. The president's tweet clearly exposed media attempts to maliciously push a falsehood about his China decision in an attempt to rewrite history. It was Democrats and the media who ignored coronavirus, choosing to focus on impeachment instead. And when they finally did comment on the virus, it was to attack President Trump for taking the bold, decisive action to save American lives by cutting off travel from China and from Europe. Dr. Fauci has been and remains a trusted advisor to President Trump. Let me tell you, Dr. Fauci is great. Is he perfect? Absolutely not. Is he wrong? Yes, he is sometimes. But it's actually good. This is good. This is all good. The media needs to stop this. They keep trying to create a rift between Trump and Fauci. There is some pushback, a little bit. But for the most part, even Fauci has said, I wish the media would stop. There's no rift. They're on the same page. There's one simple fact to consider. Fauci is not a politician or economist. Dr. Fauci is going to give advice based on medical decisions. Yes, we recognize what Fauci is saying. We should absolutely take his advice seriously. And listen to the guy. He's a doctor. All right, I'll take his word for it. I'm not a doctor. Donald Trump is the president. There's a lot more to consider. National security, the economy. Many people like to rag on the economy. They say, who cares about the economy? We're in a disaster. Well, you have people who can't get food right now lining up to food banks because they have no money. We have a major economic stimulus to make sure people can get access to resources. Things are kind of falling apart. Now Trump, as an actual politician and someone who's supposed to be leading the country, has a very serious crisis on his hands and a very difficult decision. The doctor has said to him, Trump, you cannot reopen this country. People will get sick. Meanwhile, other people are probably coming to him saying, Trump, People are going without food. The businesses are being crushed. These people are freaking out. Commercial burglaries are up 75% in New York. We must do something. And Trump is hearing both whispering in his ears. What does he do? I got to tell you, I do not want to be the president. I would never want to be in that situation. That's, that's terrifying. You got people saying people are going to die unless you reopen the economy. No, but if you do, people will die of the virus. Pick one. No matter what you do, you're wrong. So what do you do? Nothing? Well, doing nothing is one of the choices not reopening the economy. I like the idea that we have Dr. Fauci, who's a medical expert, giving advice to the president and speaking publicly. But perhaps we should have economic experts talking about the threat to the mental well-being of humans who are locked up in their homes. And also the fact that people won't be able to eat and the economy might not recover. But also you need to consider national security. We have with a crippled economy. Can we defend ourselves against our adversaries? That's both foreign and domestic. I mean, like I mentioned, we got commercial uh, burglaries are going up 75% in New York city. Now I wouldn't call that a national, you know, enemy necessarily. It's just crime, but these are things that need to be considered. The police force is checking out sick. That's a medical consideration. You've got to be able to pay them and tax revenue is going to dry up. If no one's buying anything Another consideration, the machine has stopped churning. You can't just look at Dr. Fauci and say, he's the absolute. He's not. He's definitely the expert on our health. We want to listen to him. But there's so much more to consider. The state of play, they write. Fauci, who has advised six presidents and held high government office back to 1984, is heralded on the cover of the forthcoming issue of The New Yorker as the most trusted man in America. And rising celebrity is always dangerous for a Trump advisor. Fauci also seemed to fuel criticism of the president yesterday when CNN's Jake Tapper asked about a a weekend New York Times story documenting warnings with the virus that Trump had downplayed. Quote Obviously, You could logically say that if you had a process that was ongoing and you started mitigation earlier, you could have saved lives, Fauci replied. Obviously, no one is going to deny that. But there was a lot of pushback about shutting things down back then. It wasn't just Trump. Bill de Blasio, Cuomo. Bill de Blasio was light to the party. This is the mayor of New York, for those who don't know. He said we should shut things down. The governor of New York, Cuomo, said, no way, we're not going to do that. It's not just Trump. Fauci isn't here criticizing the president. Because he's just saying, in general, yes, of course, if we did this, things would be better. They're trying to turn it into a partisan issue. They're trying to make it seem like Fauci and Trump are at odds. Fauci may very well be criticizing himself. So I'll throw some shade to that. Do we have that tweet? To uh, Deanna Lorraine. Like, you said time to fire Fauci. Yes, Fauci was telling people on the 29th there was nothing to worry about. So maybe he's being self-critical. I don't see him in this quote saying Trump, I guess. He was saying there was some pushback. That's fair. And it's, it's true. Can we all just chill out a little bit? I suppose Axios says why it matters. Trump has embarked on what he has repeatedly called the biggest decision of his life. When to urge governors to begin rolling back, shutdown guidance, allowing businesses to reopen. Well, I got good news for everybody. Uh, uh, California is talking about a regional reopening of the economy. New York, Connecticut, and New Jersey are doing the same thing. Trump is, at the federal level, encouraging governors to do their thing that makes the most sense. That's a smart thing to do because they know better than he does when it comes to their specific jurisdictions. They're slowly planning to reopen. It's good news because it means we're going to get people paid. And the longer we're shut down, the worse things get. There are many businesses that will never reopen again. These peoples have permanently lost access to food and resources and, and from their jobs. They'll get new jobs. I don't think they're going to just die. But the risk is the longer we stay shut down, the more damage is done. We're going to find a happy medium, which means we may see waves of lockdowns and and reopening. We may see uh, we, we, we may have to reopen a little too early, which could result in more people getting sick and dying. That's that's horrifying. But it might be the best to make sure people have access to food and our system doesn't completely collapse on itself. Administration sources tell Axios they haven't had the sense that Trump was ready to fire Fauci. At least that was the case before the tweet. But there is enormous pent-up energy among some of Trump's allies in conservative media to launch a full-blown campaign to pressure the president to remove Fauci. I actually disagree. There may be pressure. But a lot of Trump supporters are saying, no way, don't do it. Fauci is popular, and look, Fauci deserves all the credit for being who Fauci is, but Trump picked someone who was widely popular to be on his task force. If Trump shows the American people that he's willing to take advice from people who are even critical of him, that's gonna show that he's a good leader, willing to put up people. Who who disagree with him? Make him look maybe make him look bad. Trump could come out and say, "I disagree with Fauci, but I appreciate his expertise, and the American people trust him. I will defer to him. Plain and simple. It's the right thing to do. Getting rid of Fauci would be a bad, bad move." They say conservative, the most prominent conservative media figures, especially Fox and his opinion stars, have so far mostly treated Fauci with kid gloves. What do you mean with kid gloves? We all like the guy. Trump uh, Fauci's popularity is really high across the board. So while there are some people who want him fired. Most people, even many Trump supporters like the guy. Well, I'll leave it there. I'll see you all tomorrow at 10 a.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out. I'll see you next time.